0: Hey, I'm sure we all can uh, relate that uh, sometimes it's just kind of hard right to have a good attitude uh, more on that in in, uh, in just a minute but I do want to welcome you my name is Matt one of the pastors on our team want to welcome you to all six of our locations or if you're watching, Uh, online we're we're fired up we're glad that you're here want to wish you a happy thanksgiving as we uh, move into this incredible holiday season and i want us to celebrate just as a church Uh, we were in a series called unstoppable we rolled out our, our mission trips and just want to praise god about 70 of you have expressed an interest signed up uh, inquiring about mission trips. We have nine trips going overseas or not, or, or, or in the United States. Four of nine are already uh, are already full, and so just excited about that. I want to ask you just to be praying regularly about that, and then robbridgecc forward slash trips. Roberts.cc forward slash trips is just a great way to uh, get more information. If you're still kicking the tires, want to have a conversation, uh, that'd be a great place to start as we uh, seek to, again, uh, make Christ known and uh, love people all over the world from all walks of life. So, here, here's the question, The question is this, Are you ready for the holidays? Are you ready for Thanksgiving now? Now before you answer that uh, in your mind or, or you shout something out to me, I, I don't mean are you ready with what your plans are? and have you bought your turkey? or do you know where you're going and what time? Or like my family, I have to go to two places, pray for my stomach. But, uh, but here's what I mean. Are you ready with your attitude? Because, I mean, Thanksgiving, it says it in in, in the name, right? that It it requires some thankfulness, which would mean some positive stuff. Our outlook is different. And as we saw in the video with uh, Stephanie, it's kind of hard sometimes. It just seems like life is arrayed against us, and it's hard to have. Uh, a, a decent attitude and then you go to the bible and if you're not careful you read the bible and you just feel guilty because the bible actually commands us to kind of have a good attitude and you're like what what world was the bible written in certainly not mine look what paul says rejoice always and then thanksgiving give thanks in everything and you guy you're like it, 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 every, everything everything Give thanks in everything, and not only that, like to put an exclamation point, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus, and, and some of you who are Christians, you've been, you know, hey, what's God's will for my life? Well, give thanks in everything. That's the starting point. It, God, that just, how do we do that? And then you go to Ephesians, and it says this, it says, uh, serve with a good attitude, conduct your life with a good attitude, as to the Lord and not to people, and so that's our word, Attitude. And and, and to have a good attitude. Your mom told you that growing up when you were a teenager. Maybe your coach or teacher said that was essential. I mean, attitude. What what are we talking about when we talk about attitude? We're talking about just to be mentally decided, just to have a frame of mind and a disposition. And And this holiday season, we just thought, hey... What about our attitudes? And and can we do something? Do we need an adjustment? How do we be positive when we spill our coffee? How do we be positive when we read, watch the newspaper? How does all that work? Before we get into that, I I just want us to do a little, like, mental survey and kind of do an attitude check in about five areas. Because here's the thing. It is easy to trend negative. I mean, we are conditioned almost to have a negative outlook, a suspicious outlook on everything, on everything. So let's just do a little check. You can kind of use your bulletin if you want to, to rate yourself. All right. So personal negativity. When you think about you, it's just negative. I mean, you're like, no one will ever ask me out. You're you're like, I'm damaged goods uh, woe is me. Nobody loves me. Um, gosh, if, if no one recognizes me at work, I'm getting overlooked. So just personal negativity. If that kind of fits you, just kind of put a little mark there, uh, right small, if you don't want someone to see you. Okay. All right. Relational negativity like you you just like everybody the people in your house, if they were different and, and they were a little better you 'd be a little better right relational negativity like you're trying you wish your husband would stop and start and, and this would stop and start in your in your sphere of influence if that one fits, you can put a little mark there uh, Situational negativity like. Every day is, you know, the glass is half empty. Every day, you know, there's just something going on, and and you just kind of are negative about what's going on around you. Spiritual negativity. You're like, man, I'm like the only one. God just never answers my prayers. When I read the Bible, you know, I fall asleep. Uh, And other people talk about this book coming alive. just spiritually negative. And and then I, I just put this one down here because... Uh, just to kind of be a catch-all, like nitpicky negativity, like you're going to work and the guy in front of you is going slow, and you don't cuss at him, but you want to, right? And, and, and it just sets your whole day off. It's like a domino effect. The rest of your day is, uh, is messed up. If the barista messes up your coffee order or, or doesn't hear you correctly, you, you know, you kind of just get agitated. So nitpicky negativity. And so which one of those kind of fit you? Maybe more, maybe some, maybe more for some of you, maybe less for some of you. And just sort of like, let's say, let's just see where we are. And here's the deal. It's hard to be positive. I I was reading this in preparation for the message. About 90% of all the news you take in is negative. About 90% of what comes across our TV screens, 90% of what's in print media is just a negative story. And then there's uh, studies that show that kind of affects us, and then we're consumers, right? So we go to a store, we go to a restaurant, and we expect it to be good, right? A certain way. We want to find what we're looking for quickly. We want to get served the way we want to get served. We want the food to be good, the service to be good. And when it's not, we're just trained to good look elsewhere, and then we write a review on something about how bad it was, and we move on somewhere else, and we get kind of rewarded for that. Now, is kind of based on that. So then we come into church, and here I am saying, hey, we got to rejoice in the Lord always and be thankful. And We come into Thanksgiving week, it's like, be thankful. And we're like, I don't even know how anymore. I, I, I know we're supposed to, and, and, I, and I'll smile, but inside, man, I'm just cynical, or I'm bitter, or I'm negative. So here's the question we're going to wrestle with. Is it possible to be possi- positive? Is it even possible to be positive in the world in which we live in, or with the hand that we're dealt, or the day we're going through. Now, here's kind of how I think, we, there's two, an, two possible answers to this question. Is it possibly positive? Here's what most of us are saying. Well, it's not possible unless, and that's what we're saying, it's not possible unless a certain condition is met. And you fill in the blank, but you, you would say, I, I would be more positive if, um, or I would have a better outlook if or this, or no, it's not possible unless this happened. Unless I got this, I, prom- I got that, this worked itself out, et cetera, et cetera. It's just not possible unless, and that's sort of how most of us are. So here's, the cha- here's what happens. We become passive about our positivity. We become passive about our attitude we become passive and complacent of, about this thing called our mental frame or our disposition. Now there's another way that we're going to look at this though. And here and this is the other way. It is possible to be positive. It is possible because and we're going to put truth in that blank. We're going to say it is possible to be positive because of a, of some truths. It is possible to have a good outlook, have a good frame of reference because and, and so that's what we're going to work on together in, in this message. Now, here, here's what I did, okay? I, I believe the Bible is the Word of God. I believe it's supernatural. I believe it has power. I believe God authored it through 40 people. Uh, that's what Christians have believed for about 2,000 years, only in the last 20 or 30 if people started to question that. Uh, I, so I believe kind of what, what the people who wrote it believed when they wrote it, right? And, and, and so I, I said, let me find in the Bible... Someone who was having not just what we would call a bad day, but we would call, and you're going to hear it, we would call this kind of a bad life, okay? And yet, he was positive, and yet he had joy, and yet he had peace, and yet if you asked him, how happy are you? He, you can read 13 of the New Testament books were written by him. You can read them, and he'll say, hey, I have this joy in the Lord, and I know how to rejoice. I know how, He'll say, I know how to be content in every situation. And I'm like, let's go find where it just really comes to the edge, and, really, and, and let's just learn from him, okay? Now, the tone of this, this is in 2 Corinthians 10. Here's the tone. We'll come up against this verse later. I want to start at the the end and work backwards. He's going to say, as sorrowful, so as he's grieving, as he's sorrowful, yet he's always rejoicing. This is what he says. His name's Paul. So it's an attitude of rejoicing in the midst of unpleasant things, in the midst of, man, I'm sorry because I I dropped my coffee. I'm sorry because I got behind the slow guy. I'm sorrowful because of what the doctor told me. I'm sorrowful because of what's going on in my marriage. I'm sorrowful because I just watched Fox News flip to CNN. That was worse. Flip back to Fox. I don't even know what to watch anymore, right? I am sorrowful. And Paul says, I'm always rejoicing. So how do we get to the joy? How do we get to the positive? All right, so here we go. We're going to be with truths, not conditions. These are are just truths that we trust in, believe in, or not. So we start at the beginning of the chapter, and Paul starts talking about his partnership with God. And that's where we were last week in the Unstoppable series. God wants to partner with us. He wants us to host His Holy Spirit. That was our word last week. I asked you to pray about it, think about it. And as a church, we wanted to commit, hey, we want to we we steward the presence of God. And so Paul says, I'm working together with God. I'm working together with Him. So we also appeal to you, don't receive the grace of God in vain. Something has happened, and he's talking about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Something has happened that has enabled a grace, a gift, a free thing to become available, and Paul doesn't want anybody to miss it. And he quotes some Old Testament. He says, for he says, at an acceptable time, I listened to you in the day of salvation. I helped you see now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. So I'm going to share with you four truths, not four conditions, four truths. And these truths, when we embrace them, will open up positive attitude. These truths will open us up no matter what kind of day we're having. Because remember, sorrowful yet always rejoicing. So the first one we get from these first two verses is this. It is possible to be positive because the ultimate truth of grace and salvation counts the most. What Paul realized is God has done something in Christ. God has done something, offered something in Christ that that overcomes, overtakes, and counts more than any negative thing that happens to him, in him, or by him. Paul realized that what, what was being available now in this day of salvation... was was just this overcoming, this ultimate truth. And he always rested on that truth. He's not saying you don't have bad moments or bad days. He's not saying you don't have negative relationships. He's not saying everything works out the way you dream it'll work out when when you're like eight years old. He's just saying what God has done in Christ is so amazing and counts so much that in his soul, when the weather's bad outside, he just goes to, yeah, but Jesus died and rose for me, and I have life in him. And he just rested on that truth, and then he becomes a sharer of that truth. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 1, Paul says this. He goes, I am working for your joy. So if you're a Christian talking to a non-Christian, you can say, hey, I'm just here working for your happiness. See, a lot of people are like, no, 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 no. God's not for my happiness. Last time I went to church, it was guilt, shame, guilt, shame. See you next week for more of the same. Right? And, and No, 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 that's not what God's like. No, no, God's for your happiness. I, I say this, that Jesus died for you to be happy. He rose for you to be happy. He offers you happiness that can't be touched by a world that produces sorrow. That's what he offers. And, and so it's, Paul's like, hey, it's possible to be, po- to be positive because of the ultimate truth of what we have in Christ. Listen to how Jesus describes becoming, I'll say this, this is how Jesus describes becoming a Christian. Now, I want everybody that's a Christian to go back to that time when you surrendered, you gave Jesus your sins and the steering wheel of your life, and you became a Christ follower. And I want you to read this. Some of you are not Christians. And, and, and there's, there's a reason you're not, and you're holding off or you're holding out. Maybe because you need more information, that's fine. Maybe because someone's not explained it to you, we're going to try to do that. But, but I, I just want us to think, what, what, when, when I became a Christian, did I get this part of what Jesus did for me as described by Jesus himself in a, in a really cool parable? Here's what he says, Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure. Treasure. Buried in a field that a man found and reburied, then in his joy, attitude, then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field because what he has found in the kingdom of heaven counts way, way, way more than what he has in the kingdom of this world. Does that describe your salvation and your experience? See, I, I, I live with this fear, and I pray against it, and I preach against it like a mad dog. That, that we grow up, and, and we're told we need Jesus as our Savior, and that's true. And we would say, well, you need Jesus as your Lord and your leader, and that's true. But if we just stop there, we miss the fullness of salvation, because Jesus says, I have come that you might have joy, and that my joy might be your joy, and your joy might be complete. And the picture of salvation Jesus paints is we get a treasure that will never fade or perish, and we get a joy that Satan and the world and the sorrows of this world can't touch, can't take away, and cannot diminish. And so when I talk about, hey, I'm for your joy, and we're for your happiness at Rockbridge Community Church, and life in Christ is the best life there is, those are Jesus' promises. That's what Jesus has offered. Now, if we just stop at Lord and Savior, listen. Someone can save you and then enslave you being someone somebody prisoners of war some of them were rescued when their parachute opened or they you know were shot down in the in the in the ocean and they were rescued by the enemy they were saved and then they were marched like this and tortured savior and lord right yeah they saved my life but and then they lorded me in a bad way And, and so sometimes in christianity god gets this knock that he is not for our joy and so i want us to present a jesus who is a prize and a treasure jesus is not interested in us just choosing Him, he wants us to cherish him and prize him and see him as a treasure. Is that the Jesus we know here? Rockbridge. Is that the Jesus we share with people when we live sent? Rockbridge. That's the Jesus of the Bible. And that's why Paul says, Look, I can be, I can have the worst, quote, day in the eyes of the world. But because of what I have found in the field of Christ and the kingdom of heaven, that trumps anything the world can do to me. So yeah, it's possible to be positive. Later in Philippians 3, look at at what Paul says. He goes, I consider everything, there's that word again, everything, to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. See, we, we, know, we know if I said, hey, you, you won the lottery or your team won the championship or your business closed the deal or, or, or the doctor says the cancer's gone, joy's automatic with that. But sometimes we stand up here and we say, Jesus died in your place. Jesus died instead of you. Jesus wants to give you himself. Jesus wants to live inside of you. And we're just like, okay. When we understand The cost Jesus paid, we didn't have to pay it, he paid it. We understand the cost he paid and the level of intimacy he wants to have with us and that he is a treasure and a prize to pursue forever. The world loses its grip on us and the world can no longer sour our attitude. And that's where Paul was. He knew, he says, today is the day of salvation. He knew what it cost God. To bring that day about. I'm gonna stop. There's probably some people here. And you need right now to give your life to Jesus Christ. Not begrudgingly, not oh yeah, I don't I just don't want to go to hell. But because the Holy Spirit is showing you the greatest thing God could do for you is give you Himself, and He's ready to give you Himself right now if you would just surrender, submit. And choose Jesus as your, as your satisfaction from this day forward. If that's you, you're saying yes to God in your soul. Your next step is to let somebody know. You can use the next step card and have a conversation with any of us in the front of our stages, all of our campuses, or in our Connect Here areas. We'd love to talk to you. It's beautiful to understand who Christ is. And to let that truth settle your attitude forever. So then Paul kind of says, this is what I do, you know, this is is the truth I have. And he, he says, now I'm in ministry. So he starts talking about his ministry. He says, we're not giving anyone an occasion for offense so that the ministry will not be blamed. Instead, as God's ministers, we commend ourselves in everything. We don't want to make God look bad by our bad attitude. If we're offering eternal happiness, the worst thing we can do is walk around as a critic or a cynic. Then look what he's done. Now then he says, here's what we did to not make Christ look bad or put an offense or a stumbling block. He says, By great endurance, by afflictions, by hardships, by difficulties, by beatings, by imprisonments. Remember what I told you Paul had a lifetime of bad days? He had a lifetime of spilled coffees. Here he is. He's listing them, right? By beatings, by imprisonments, by riots, by labors, by sleepless nights, and by times of hunger. And, and you look at that and you're like, I want what he's drinking, Right? I want what he's... Ha- How is Paul telling me to rejoice in the Lord always? How does Paul have a good attitude? What truth does he embraced? Because I would say... Here's what I would say. God, it's impossible for me to be positive unless you take away my afflictions, my hardships, my difficulties, my beatings, my imprisonments, my riots, my labors, my sleepless night, my times of hunger. God, unless you take these away, it's negative Nancy for me, baby. And Paul's going to say it in, in a couple of verses. rejoicing in the Lord always. So what, what, what other truth is Paul embracing that we need to embrace? Paul has reached the point in his life. And, and I, am, I pray our church gets here. Oh, I pray we get here because it's so crucial to our mission in the world. I pray we get to this truth. That the purpose of our life is greater than the problems of our life. The ministry of Paul is such a God-ordained ministry. He knows his purpose, and he says, hey, the purpose of my life is greater than the problems of my life. The purpose of my life is greater than the problems of my life. And, and, and he takes it a step further. And this is so powerful because we serve a God who's over all, everything God. So in Christ, all problems can serve his purpose, but only submitted problems will. All problems can serve God's purpose, Christ's purpose, and problem and purpose is greater than problems. But only when we submit those problems will that happen. So, so here, here's the beautiful thing about Christianity, and, and, and when something happens to people who, who are not Christ followers, something negative, something bad, a hardship, whatever, where do we we have to put? We need to assign a meaning to that because, like Viktor Frankl. He, he, he lived in a, in a Nazi concentration camp, and he says this. It's a great quote. you got to think about it for a minute, but here's what he says. He goes, suffering is no longer suffering once it has a meaning. Suffering is no longer suffering once it has a meaning. Okay? Without Christ, where do we put suffering? Without Christ, without the Scriptures, without God, where do we put a bad day? Where, where, where do we put a hardship? Where do we put an affliction? Here's what we do. Without Christ, without understanding the fullness of Christ and that all of our problems that are submitted to Him can serve a purpose that's amazing, right? Without that, here's what we do we, 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 we use it as evidence against God or we use it to paint a picture of ourselves that is damaging and flawed and wounded. That's what we do without Christ. But with Christ and understanding that God will use problems to fulfill purpose, that God will use problems to display His beauty and His majesty, suddenly when something bad happens to you, it's not the end of the world. Suddenly, when you have a legitimate, worldly reason to have a bad attitude, you won't because you realize, I can place this in the hands of God, and God will bring good out of it. God will use it. God's not surprised by it. And, and, and I don't have to say, God, you must not love me because I'm looking at a cross where Jesus died for me. And and, and so that, that negative lean starts trending positive. And, and Paul realizes something so powerful that everything that happens is an opportunity to display Christ as treasure. Everything that happens is an opportunity to display Christ as treasure. If you have a treasure that can't perish, can't fade, can't go away and last forever... Everything that happens is an opportunity to say, I'm satisfied, I'm happy, I'm okay, I have Christ. Yeah, I can be in prison, I have Christ. Yeah, I can go through hardship, I still have Christ. Yeah, today was a tough day, but I still have Christ. And so Paul just starts taking all those things that happened to him. The beatings, the rioting, the shipwreck, the nights at sea, the nights in jail, when when some friends deserted him. He just kind of puts those in this category, like, God, you've got it. I'll never doubt your love for me because it was displayed for me and given to me through Christ on the cross and the Holy Spirit into my heart. And and so if those things can be used by you to show how supreme and satisfying you are so other people might want you as their treasure too, I'm all in, God. I'm all in. Now, So he just describes the bad things that happened to him. And then he goes on in verse 6. So here's all the bad stuff. And then he starts talking about character. He says purity by knowledge, by patience, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, God in him, God through him, God with him, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, through weapons. So he's fighting, but he's using weapons of righteousness on the right hand and the left through glory and dishonor, through slander and good report. So some people dishonored Paul, uh, some people slandered Paul, some people regarded Paul as a deceiver, yet he knows he's true. So so, what is he doing here? And I, I'll tell you what I think he's doing. And, I, and you and I have the power to do this right now, this weekend, right now. What Paul has done is he has changed the scoreboard and changed the definition. I'm going to unpack that. But he's changed the scoreboard and he's changed the definition. See, here's the deal. All of us are keeping score. You're keeping score. There's a score you look at every day to tell you how you're doing or to tell you how life's doing. Okay, there's a score you every one of us looks at to say is today a good day or not or am I doing Okay, all of us have a scoreboard. Okay, and all of us have a definition of what the good life looks like All of us do sometimes we're handed that definition by our culture. We're handed that definition by our families of origin We all have a definition. What if all of us are looking at the wrong scoreboard? What if all of us have the wrong definition of what a good day really is? That could create problems, right? I mean, if you're coaching and you're looking at the wrong scoreboard and you don't know what time it is, or what the score—it could be wrong, right? It could mess it up. And we have the power to set this definition and set this scoreboard. And one of the things Satan has done to take away the joy of Christians and the joy of the church, and joy is instrumental to our witness. One of the things Satan has done is caused us to look at the wrong scoreboard and have the wrong definitions. So Paul's scoreboard, he gives it to us in these verses. Paul's scoreboard is the character he displayed by the grace of God inside of him, and what God says versus what they say about him. The they said you're you're a deceiver. Paul says God says I'm true. The they say, I, I'm an imposter. God says, I'm this. So what they say, and all of us live for the they, Paul lived for an audience of one, okay? And then Paul's like, the character that's being displayed in my life is of the Holy Spirit, and it's Christ-like. And so imagine Paul at the end of his day. And you ask this question all the time, right? Hey, how was your day, honey? You meet someone, hey, how's your day going? And, and when that question gets asked to you, you immediately go to your scoreboard and you immediately go to your definition of what a day should be like. So imagine Paul was never married, but let's play along. Paul goes to his tent. Paul goes to a house and, and, and some hospitable person comes up and says, hey, Paul, how was your day? And now Paul's like, well, I got beat today. I got made fun of today. 20 people walked away from the faith today. I'm going to have to leave the city tomorrow or they're going to arrest me. And so my day was, we would all say I had the worst day possible. Paul had a whole life of bad days. But what does he do? They say, how was your day? And he's like, well, I displayed Christ today in everything. The Holy Spirit let me be pure My flesh wanted to punch someone in the face. The Holy Spirit helped me be patient. I was tempted to walk away. The Holy Spirit reminded me Jesus died in my place. And he starts looking through his character. He starts looking through the opportunities God gave him, even though they were bad, quote-unquote situations, or or negative people. And, And Paul's like, I had a good day. In fact, you go to 2 Timothy, the last thing Paul wrote, last letter he wrote before he died and he was killed for being a Christian, sounds like a bad day, right? But it wasn't for Paul because he says to live is Christ, to die is gain. But so he's writing to Timothy, end of his life, and here, here's what he says. Remember, how was your day? And he's had, a, he's had a, we would call Paul having a life of bad days. Here's what Paul says. He goes, Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. All because Paul's scoreboard and Paul's definition of what made a day good was based on Christ, was based on gospel, was based on the Holy Spirit living in him and displaying through him. That's what Paul's definitions were. And and I I just say to, to Matt Evans, I say, what if those were my definitions? Does my definition of a good day look more American or Christian? Does my definition of a good day look more Bible Belt or Bible? Does my scoreboard reflect the values of the world or the treasures of the kingdom of heaven? And here's what I know. I can change those definitions. I choose them I adopt them. Part of being a disciple of Jesus is, Jesus, would you define what a good day means? Jesus, would you show me really kind of how to keep score? And, and, and when we adopt that, wow, it's so powerful. And, and, and then let's say you have a day where, man, I wasn't patient. And let's say you have a day where man, I wasn't kind, I didn't respond the way I should. Man, I, I, I should have I praised and I cursed, Whatever you just take that to the blood of Jesus and the cross of Christ, and you just leave it there, and you wake up the next day, and you say, this is the day the Lord has made. I will be glad and rejoice in it, right? All right, Paul concludes his, uh, his, his train of thinking, is, and he says, I was unknown yet recognized, dying yet see we live. And he starts talking about how he's viewed on earth versus how he would be viewed in heaven or in eternity or in the kingdom. So on earth, some people don't know me yet. I'm recognized by God and his people. I'm dying. He knows he's going to die and he's punished. But we live because I'm eternal to, to live as Christ, to die as gain. As being disciplined or punished yet not killed. As sorrowful yet always rejoicing. As poor yet enriching many because he's sharing the treasure. He's making people rich in Jesus. That's his mission. Making people happy in Christ. As having nothing on this earth yet possessing everything. In light of his gift of Christ and Christ in him. Christ through him. The hope of glory. And and so the fourth truth that gives us the power to be positive. is, Is we have an eternal perspective. That we learn to start assessing our lives in light of eternity, not in light of where I am in my 20s or what happened to me in my 30s, but in light of eternity. And and the sooner we have an eternal mindset and an eternal perspective, the easier it is to begin to understand how to take bad days and see them in light of where God is moving, where God is taking us. And so Paul just sort of looks at everything on earth as a way to highlight eternity. Everything on earth highlights the blessing of the kingdom of heaven and the blessing of eternity. Listen, listen, listen. If all you've got is 50 years or 100 years, And man, you have two bad decades, and this is all you got. You got nothing after you die. All you got. Yeah, that's tough, man. I had had, a fifth of my life is wasted. A fifth of my life was taken away by a bad marriage, or a, a fourth of my life was taken away fighting cancer, or fighting this, or fighting that. I admit, I agree. You know, it's hard to have a good day and a good outlook. But if that's just a drop in a bucket, and if that cancer or that bad, those bad quote-unquote 20s are all being used by God to shape, frame, and reward you forever and ever, amen? Man, I got a perspective that allow, allows me to be positive. And I can have a positive attitude. And I can be thankful, not just one day out of one week, out of one year. I can be thankful in everything because of the treasure I have in Christ. Now, I, I want to close the message a little bit differently because I, I was, I, this is the truth, right? The activity of my mind determines the attitude of my heart. So, so let me say it this way. The same way you become negative is the same way you become positive in your attitude. You th- you, you, I get a negative attitude because I focus on negative things, right? Right? Uh, it, whether it's the bad news of the day 90 percent of it's negative or i'm focusing on what i don't have instead of what i have in christ so focus activity of the mind determines the attitude of my heart so the same way you become negative is the same way you become positive you just switch your thinking so here's what i want to ask us to do okay i want to and this, this just bear with me on this but i'm praying that god would do something okay i'm just going to ask you if you i'm going to suggest you close your eyes And let's just kind of take our minds and be still for a minute. And I'm just going to read something over you and for you and pray that the Holy Spirit works in you. So if you feel comfortable, you can close your eyes. If not, that's fine. But I just want to get our minds in a certain place. We'll be still and know that he's God. Make your attitude that of Christ Jesus. "...who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be held on to. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him... And gave him the name that is above every name. That the name of Jesus, every knee should bow as those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So then, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now even more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you, enabling you both to desire and work out His good presence. Do everything without grumbling and arguing, so that you may be blameless and pure. Children of God, who are faultless in a crooked and perverted age, among whom you shine like stars in the sky, hold firmly to the message of God. Of life. King Jesus, may this message grip us. May this message change us. May this message give us a reason to rejoice. Today. Tomorrow. And forever. And ever. God, for people here. Who are saying yes to Jesus for the first time. There's a party going on in heaven right now. Because a lost person has been found, a sinner has been saved. God, for every person right now who is rejoicing in the Lord because of who you are, Jesus, and what you did, you are God, you became man, and you died in our place, and you're exalted now forever. God, for every person here who's just rejoicing in you, praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. You're our treasure. You're more than our Lord. You're more than our Savior. You're our treasure. You're our joy. You're our peace. You're our hope. You are our life. May we shine like stars. In the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.